0: Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the latest evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, soon to be author of The Science of Nutrition out December the 30th, 2021, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode we are going to be joined by guests all of whom are experts in their field so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with our trusted expert advice. Few career paths require as much resolve and commitment as becoming a fully qualified health professional and With so many listeners asking me all the time how to either become a nutritionist or should they just take a short course, we've decided finally that I'll be in the hot seat. And this week's Food for Thought with health and fitness journalist Rachel Hosey explores how to navigate the endless options available to us. Hello, Rachel.
1: Hi Ree, and hi everyone listening, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a real pleasure to be here because I'm a huge fan of Food for Thought um, and always listen. Um, so obviously we're turning the tables today and I'm going to be interviewing you which is very exciting. Um, as a fitness and nutrition journalist like a big part of my job as you know is knowing which experts actually qualified and and which are simply self-proclaimed. And, you know, we really have a responsibility to amplify the qualified professionals like yourself and bring them to the public, which is why I always love working with you.
0: Oh, thank you, Rachel. I um, am very excited to record this episode. I think it's actually really, really well overdue. A lot of people always ask me to um, go into depth about this subject, you know, who to look for nutritional advice, how do you even become a nutritionist? And I've known you for a long time, and I guess, you know, it is part of your job to decipher who to go to. So who better to host this podcast, Rachel, today? So let's get to it.
1: No, it's it's true that anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, can't they?
0: Yeah, um, I think that's a good place to start, actually, because it makes things really confusing, and it's also really disheartening for registered nutritionists like myself that have spent years and years studying degree level science courses, and someone can do a week's a week long course online and then call themselves nutritionists. So. For everyone listening, it's not a protected title, whereas a dietitian is. So Mm -hmm. no one can just call themselves a dietitian, but anyone can a nutritionist. There's actually a petition going around at the moment that you can sign to get to government level to get them to address this. But we're fighting for it to become protected.
1: Mm, It seems absolutely mad, isn't it, that anyone can just say... I'm a nutritionist. Um, it's, it's bonkers that that existed in the first place. So hopefully there can be some change there. Um, so for people who are looking for a nutritionist, what should they look out for to know that they are getting someone who actually is qualified?
0: Yeah, I, I mean this is the thing and you you mentioned it. It it is bonkers because you were telling someone to change their diet if you're a nutritionist. That can impact mm. your health directly, massively so and create psychological changes just as much as biological ones and physiological ones. So it it's really it is really crucial um that we look for the right people. I would say if you're looking for a nutritionist, now in the UK, the protected titles for nutritionists are registered as nutritionists, which are the more mm. experienced, or associate, so registered associate nutritionists, which are just starting out in their career, because those are the people that will have done degrees. You really want to be looking for people that have at least three or four years of experience studying the subject and it has to be in nutrition or nutrition and and health or if you're looking for a sports nutritionist it should be sports nutrition there's no point going to somebody that only has a year doing something that isn't even related very heavily heavily to nutrition because the depths of the course that you do I mean you cover modules that have nothing really to do with nutrition in the first Mm -hmm. year of your degree it's amazing you do immunology you do pathophysiology biochemistry you look at the way the heart works the kidneys you just look at the body in such depth that you just cannot possibly fit into a a year so I would look for the qualifications um in the area you have to do quite a bit of searching for them because a lot of people that are not qualified won't declare them on the website and that is actually a big red Mm -hmm. flag as well
1: Absolutely. And I think it's really important if there aren't qualifications listed to ask for them before you sign up, because I think so many people who decide they want to make money out of giving nutrition advice, often if they don't have the qualifications, they're just... um, you know, maybe sort of pushing what's worked for them or there's bias or something. And if they don't have the, you know, the scientific medical knowledge behind it, then that can actually lead to some quite harmful consequences for people, can't it? Not to mention they're just wasting money.
0: Oh, I mean, 100 percent, because what you the advice that you take from somebody can really stick in your head. I mean, some of the clients we have in our clinic have taken advice from people that aren't fully qualified when they were, 20 maybe 15 years yeah. old 30 years old and that's the advice they keep going back to when they get to times of need and it could be dangerous it could be harmful it could be causing starvation it could be causing micronutrient deficiencies it could be impacting your gut health and your, your brain function and your heart health so it is um yeah it's it's incredibly important that you decipher and you get the best advice
1: Yeah, because unpacking and undoing sort of bad advice is harder than just starting and getting the good advice in the first place. Um, So let's talk now about what is the difference between, you know, therapists, dietitians, nutritionists. I think people get very confused about these different roles. So could you talk us through those and, and explain how someone might know what who is right for them?
0: Oh, 100%. I think it is one of the most confusing things. So you can get, um, we'll start with nutritional therapists. So they're actually regulated, um, well, voluntary, you have to sign up. So some nutritional therapists, if they don't have a governing body, it might be a little bit of a red flag. But they can sign up to the Complementary and Natural Healthcare Council. But it's important that I add that this is complementary and alternative health. So You've probably heard of Complementary Medicine before, or um, BANT, which is the British Association of Nutritional Therapy. Now, a lot of nutritional therapists will have hopefully done maybe a three-year undergrad degree in nutritional therapy, um, so that's good. But some equally will only have diplomas, and others could even do an online or short course and then call themselves a nutritional therapist. So you really have to, yeah... You really have to check because there are some amazing nutritional therapists out there, but there are a lot of charlatans as well. And mm. the problem, I think, for the fact that it's voluntary as well, is that a lot of alternative therapies are also underneath this, you know, complementary natural Healthcare council that, you know, the CNHC that nutritional therapists are represented by. So this includes hypnotherapy, um, reflexology, crystal healing, um, It can include the Alexander Technique teaching or um, massage therapy, naturopathy. It's it's a huge range and you may see some of them that are regulated by the General Regulatory Council for Complementary Therapies. So keep remembering these words, complementary, natural. And then you've got dietitians and nutritionists. Um, So you really want to look for, so I'm a registered nutritionist. And that means I have at least three or four years of an undergraduate degree and or a postgrad. Then I've also got three years plus of experience. And you have to do a complete portfolio. It's exhausting. You have to show how many hours of professional development you've done every year so you've got a tick box there and you are watched Mm -hmm. like a hawk by the afn the association for nutrition who will basically pick you up if you don't stick to the guidelines and they're very very good at it they're rigorous and you know you have to Mm -hmm. declare your identity and your character and you can be struck off the register so registered nutritionists that abide by the association for nutrition I obviously highly recommend I know the study that they have to do it's rigorous and you start off as an a nutra which is a N U T R and then you'll go up to an R nutra afterwards so mm-hmm. it's a progression when I graduated I was a registered associate nutritionist and then after three to five years you become a registered nutritionist so they're registered nutritionists and we do pretty much the same training as a dietitian um, so we'll do the same sort of modules but then dietitians take it a step further now, they are protected and dietitians are fabulous and they will be protected by the Health and Care Professional Councils, which is the HCPC. Um, and they then go on to gain additional qualifications in specialist areas such as, you know, sports research or gastro. Um, you'll get people working in renal, so kidney areas in hospitals. You won't see nutritionists in hospitals as you would dietitians. They can work with people that are mm. chronically ill. Um and it's a very different setting. I'd say nutritionists are a lot of the time more public health-based um, and dietitians will spend a lot of time working in the NHS hospitals as well.
1: Yes, the thing is there's so much information, isn't there, and so many different things that you know the general public just doesn't know about and so obviously when looking for nutrition help people are like oh I don't know I'll go with anyone who you know proclaims they know what they're talking about. I think it might be good actually I mean I know you've spoken about it before but for anyone who doesn't know why don't you tell us a bit about kind of your own journey to how you got to the position you're in now and I know that could be a long one but um you know the top lines maybe. (laughs)
0: Yes. Um, yes. I realize that the previous answer as well is um, there's a lot to take in, a lot to break down. But for myself, I mean, I didn't really know I was going to be a nutritionist. I was a soprano and I was struggling <laughs> a lot. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And it, it, it was amazing. I traveled the world. I've done gigs in Singapore, in Oman, in the top of a mountain in Switzerland. And I've I had such, yeah, such incredible experiences in my life. And I never in a million years thought I was any good at, well, science at school. So it may sound bizarre to people that I went to do nutrition, but nutrition was really the only thing that appealed to me. I had reached a point in my musical career where I'd been signed to record labels, dropped by record labels, classical crossover, which is what I was working towards with songwriters, just wasn't really popular anymore. Times had changed and... I um, went to a doctor, I remember, because I felt, I think I was depressed looking back and under eating, Mm. and no one really diagnosed it. And he just gave me antidepressants and said, off you go. Mm. And looking back, I thought, this can't be it. And I enrolled at university when I was 21. And I enrolled in nutrition and health at Hampton University. And Mm. I, I knew I wanted to do a degree, because I'd read that if you qualify with a degree in nutrition, you are automatically on this register, which was AFN back in the time. It means you're, you know, more likely to get a job because the government recognises the AFN just as they do the BDA, which regulate dietitians, the British Dietic Association. So I thought, OK, I'll be more likely to get a job. I need to make a living. I was juggling like four or five jobs at the time. And it was just all, wow. you know, it was just intense. I was studying I was working at the uni library, doing night shifts. Um, I was working at the Royal Albert Hall. I was working at Jaeger and Kara Millen, concessions at House of Fraser. I was doing singing gigs, you name it. I was just, I just felt exhausted. I was like, I need a qualification. I need to earn a living. I don't know how I'm going to survive. So Mm -hmm. food appealed to me Mm -hmm. and I enrolled, I'm cutting a long story very short, but that's when I enrolled in nutrition and health at uni.
1: And now look at you, amazing. So, yeah, I mean, so many questions I want to ask you. Do you need, so for someone wanting to maybe follow in your footsteps, do you need to do a university degree first to be taken on by accredited courses?
0: Yeah, so I would definitely recommend, and I know that it sounds... Overwhelming to anybody. The, the biggest thing I'm asked all the time on social media is I don't have time to go to uni. You know, I can't afford to go to university. And, you know, I took out loans galore. It mm. is blooming hard, but it is the only way. And I do think if you want to take this seriously and to be accredited, I would highly suggest a university. If you want to be nutritious and do what I do and help people in clinics, If you want to do what I do and you really want to help people's health improve, I would suggest the degree. And it just puts you in a stronger position when you graduate, really, as well. And Mm. you have to learn about the human body in order to then learn about nutrition and how complex it is. If you want a good accreditation by the British Diocese Association or the AFN, then you'll need to go to uni.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, presumably if people do want to go on to do something as a registered nutritionist or a dietitian they need to make sure that they are going on a course that is evidence-based rather than the I can never pronounce it naturopathy route yes
0: yes I mean it's really difficult because these areas can be quite um emotive I think for a lot of people but ultimately if you do want to be a registered nutritionist and dietitian you you just have to get the course right because in fact the NHS uh, banned the use of naturopathy in 2017. Um, they claim that of course it's important to remember that it's it's an alternative medicine. Um, it's actually known as complementary and alternative medicines, and there's actually no universal agreed definition of, of this at all. Um, you know. It, it, Underneath this category, just to explain, it can include things like herbal medicines, acupuncture, homeopathy um, so so many treatments using crystal healing, that sort of thing and of course, for some people, this might be an effective thing to go into and something that makes them happy but I have to really emphasize that alternative medicine does employ a lot of pseudoscientific practices, um, and they claim things are natural, non-invasive, you know, self-healing. It's more of a type of ideology, I think, um, based on, I guess, folk medicine to a degree. And to you have to respect these areas of practice, but... Ultimately, I'm talking about utilising the science of the human body and the information we have to help someone's health. And when you're looking at the diet somebody eats, I do think it's incredibly important um, to speak to a registered nutritionist or dietitian over a naturopath because it can really impact your health. I mean, I mean, I've got the American Cancer Society for instance, have stated that naturopaths should be denounced um, and they've accused them of being charlatans. It's really a a big, a big thing. And I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible, but I would, yeah, stick, stick to the evidence-based courses there, I think.
1: Mm, Gosh, it's tricky, isn't it? So for anyone starting out, you know, maybe they've just done their university degree and they want to get a job as a nutritionist. uh, What's your advice?
0: So I often say go the extra mile and you'll need experience just as much as qualifications. It is a really hard industry to get into and to be on top of constantly. So my advice would first of all be, I know it's painful, but consider a master's degree on top of your undergrad degree. There are so many people now graduating with just the undergrad degree. And, you know, you might all be thinking, oh, it's all, all very well for Re, you know, she's already where she is. But, you know... I did exactly that and went straight into doing a master's degree and went straight into so many qualifications afterwards. I'm still studying now. It never ends. So you need to have the attitude of the fact that studying never ends. And then you need to have a think about where you want to kind of go, which path? Is it the public health route? Do you want to go into sports nutrition? Do you want to look into psychological aspects of food? And then think about how you can tailor your education towards that route. Some of it will be getting jobs in the industry straight away, maybe graduate schemes. And you need a mentor. I mean, you you really need somebody who's experienced to guide you through as well. And get that work experience voluntary you know it's unpaid but do it during your degree Mm. would be my biggest advice Rachel because you know I got a lot of my work experience during my second and third year at university and that definitely helped.
1: You know it's so funny because it's similar it sounds similar to my experience in getting into journalism yeah um it's it's not great that you have to do it but I you know I did so many unpaid unpaid internships and work placements Mm. and student journalism been all sorts but um you do you do just have to learn don't you You have to learn however you can it's the um, you made it's a very overnight,
0: yeah. is it I, I think that's the thing no. people assume it's an overnight thing it takes years to build up a portfolio yes. and it takes experience
1: absolutely i think you made such a good point about having a mentor and how helpful that could be um I think, as people you know obviously doing things like this podcast is amazing to explain to people how how it can go in this career, but having a mentor, I think is super helpful because I have one as well. Um, mm. How can someone go about getting a mentor so I guess it's important to explain
0: i mean when I mentioned before as well the work experience, some of it for me was just it was out it doesn't have to be nutrition related just to help people a little bit further. I worked in the NHS for free for two weeks and I I shadowed, I had to leave London to do it because I couldn't get any opportunities in the city and I had to go and stay in the countryside and find my way and I shadowed diabetic wards, the birthing ward, um, the community, uh, the community nurses that went out and helped people in the local area and I got experience there so you can think outside the box really yeah. little bit but my mentor I found once I'd graduated I love her so much Jennifer Lowe a dietitian and yeah. she works in eating disorders and being guided by her was the best thing because when you're struggling with an online presence or building a business or knowing a difficult case um what direction to go in what tick boxes you should be ticking and and <laughs> also getting tick boxes from your accredited body. So the AFM require um, you to showcase that, you know, how many sessions have you had of supervision, that sort of thing. And so do dieticians, they need to have supervision ticked off. So in order to get one, it's a case of reaching out to people that you see, writing emails, calling online, having a look and just hounding them a little bit, I guess, and just saying, please. Take me mm. on. Um, please give me a chance. And I mentor my team now, my lovely nutritionists in the clinic, Sophie and Faye are my two currents, and I've got another mentee starting soon. But I believe in creating opportunities because I found it really hard. No one really gave me a chance until I met Jem when I'd graduated. Um, I emailed so many well-known nutritionists and they all just said no. So mm. it's hard. you just got to persevere, I think.
1: It's very hard and it's very good of you to give back and I think you know a lot of people do want to do that but it's the same thing about when it comes to getting work placements and stuff isn't it, you have to sort of knock on many doors before Mm. one opens and you have to not give up and um, do so in a polite way I think, (laughs) be enthusiastic and hammer but politely.
0: I mean, the first job I ever got, I had to emails that Alice McIntosh is a, an example of a wonderful nutritional therapist. And she worked at the Food Doctor Clinic in Harley Street, and there was a receptionist mm. role there. I must have emailed her like a hundred times, I would call, and eventually she just, I remember her saying, I was so sick of you emailing me, Ri, that I just, <laughs> I thought, all right, she can come in, she'll be the next person, because I was relentless. And Sophie, who was my first ever employee, she came to every single supper club that I hosted, every event, she sent me so many emails, and I wasn't even ready to expand, I'd only just got my clinic up and running, and I'd mm. moved from, because I've, I've worked in three different clinics before I got my own. And I supported doctors and I worked in the food doctor clinic and then I moved down to set up my own. But I wasn't ready, but she handed me so much. I said, look, I can't really offer much money, but do you want to join the team and do this role? And now she's one of my um, nutritionists working in intuitive eating. So, yeah, persistence and a smile definitely pays off, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about social media. So obviously you have a very impressive... Social media uh, following, social media accounts, um, which I know as we as like everything has not just come overnight. But how do you balance running that with you know all your actual work? Not to mention you know doing media bits and bobs, working with the press, doing everything you do. How how do you find the time to put into your social media as well? And how important is it to what you do?
0: I know I mean I've known you a long time Rachel and I remember when we first um, met when you were working for the independent newspaper. Independent and, yeah. Yeah I think I think I had um, around 30,000 followers or something which was still a lot but you know I remember starting and I got my book deal when I had 7,000 followers. The so times I will just wow. say to everybody listening. Yeah it was so 7,000 when Yellow kite the publishers approached me to write Renourish. It took me a year to write that but social media created that opportunity for me. So I've always known mm. the power that it has. And I think when I started it, there were no health professionals, were well, not evidence-based ones anyway. You mm. wouldn't see the doctors that you see today online or other dietitians. It was a bit controversial, so much so that my regulatory body, AFM, stepped in and had to monitor me for a whole year and investigate how I use it because it was just this new thing. And
1: mm.
0: no one was really sure if I was representing in the right way. How does this work? But I will say that managing it now is extremely difficult because it's, I mean, it's 200,000 plus strong now. It's it, Not to mention wow. Twitter tiktok these other channels that you know also there um tiktok is new for me as well and i'm not as good at on it but i promise i'm trying to do better for everybody listening but (laughs) it's it's i look at it as a job there's no way i would get through it if i didn't see it as a job Mm. and actually i created a different account to separate my motherhood journey with the nutrition one called at re because i definitely see nutrition as being a go-to place for trusted advice and I think what I love about the Retrition community is it's just friendly it's positive it's built organically from day one there's no cheating the system it's pure graft and hard work you know I know other big dietitians and people that have bought followers and I don't agree with that I think it's important to do it from scratch but managing it is, I schedule it into my day. When I get a moment, mm. I will do stories. And I believe that stories are important. And when I get a moment, I have a content schedule, a whole Excel spreadsheet of content going all the way up to September, October. And we're recording this in July. So I'm very driven and making time for recipe content, shooting things. It has to be looked at like a full-time job. And that was hard at the beginning because I wasn't paid for it. Um you know you don't get paid to do a lot of this stuff it's all free every single day and now i do get the odd brand deal but it still doesn't quite balance the amount of time i spend on it but i know that it means i can chat to people and reach new people and create this podcast so if anyone listening is scared to start my advice would be just do it um but Mm -hmm. think about if you want to put yourself on or just use imagery because that's a big decision i think
1: yeah well that was actually one of my questions that i was going to ask you about in a little bit but we'll go on to it now and I think so how much do you think sharing you as a person a bit of your personal life has helped you grow your following and helped you establish yourself as a trusted source of nutrition information on social media because obviously you know like we say one can just share infographics and all sorts but i think actually what a lot of your followers love is feeling like they know you or at least a part of you and it helps i think it helps you you seem you know, like a qualified expert and someone they can trust and someone authentic?
0: Oh, Rachel, what question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How do I break this down? I think I have to add and be transparent that as a performer in the past, it doesn't phase me and doesn't fill me with the fear that it might do someone else. So just mm. to put that out there, I have an advantage in the fact that it doesn't scare me, the amount of people that can see what you do. I'm very used to being vulnerable on a stage, that sort of situation. Yeah. But I will add that if I were buying a product or wanting to see a health professional, there is no way I would just book in to see someone if I didn't know their philosophy or have an appreciation of who they are as a person. Because I you know, if you're gonna trust somebody with your health, you kind of want to get a feel for what they believe in and what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to do that without putting a face to it. And to grow a successful brand, you see a lot of people um, what examples can I use like Ella, I love Ella and she was one of the first people that ever helped, she helped me re-nourish at the start face the fact mm. that this could be really she sat down with me, she didn't know me we'd assigned to the same publisher and, and gave me a chance and I think people like to see the person behind the brand it makes them more trustworthy mm. and accessible but I have to be honest, I love it. I love connecting with people. I'm a people person, Rachel. I couldn't be a dietitian. Mm-hmm. I chose not to be a dietitian because I couldn't face the hospital environment. I wanted to be out there working in the public health sector, face to face. That's just who I am. And to answer the question, I do think it does help with growth on a platform like social media, because it's just more engaging to see someone's face rather than a static image. I would add seriously that social media for me came after I had a degree under my belt Mm. and a master's degree at the time. And I'm a master practitioner, which I was doing when I was growing the social media platform. And I do think you have to put the groundwork in to be credible. So you can't just rely, well, maybe you can, but not in a full way, in my opinion, on social media, you have to have the backing to back it up. So get the groundwork Mm. in, and maybe build it alongside slowly and be transparent about it. You can say I'm a student nutritionist in your profile. And then when you graduate, you can change that bio to saying I'm a fully qualified nutritionist or I'm working here and getting experience here. And you can share your journey. And actually, it's quite nice to be invested in someone from their journey Mm. from day one. You can share lectures. I, I still do that when I'm doing any courses. I still share what I'm learning on my Insta stories because I think it's also nice and accessible. Not everyone can afford to do this type of thing. So it is incredibly important to have an online platform now in order to grow a business it's very it's free marketing i've never paid for
1: yeah.
0: search engine optimization or seo anything like that and i've my clinic never once have i done a paid or sponsored post for it but i have a successful business because social media gave me a girl from Wiltshire, a chance who probably never <laughs> never in a million years would have had the chance i have now if i didn't have the brand retrition so You need both. There's no easy way of getting around it is the answer. You need to have both, I think, to be a success.
1: Absolutely. It's a combination of everything. I think, you know, you have so much knowledge and so much experience, but you've also been very smart of establishing your personal brand and, you know, working with the media and the press. And, you know, I have to be honest, when I'm looking for new experts to work with, I look at all sorts of things, but I do look at their social media as well. And, you know, mm. to it's, it's a big responsibility to check someone out and check their legitimate and and yeah, I will I will look at what they're posting and what their account looks like. And I'm not saying I will only work with someone if they've got a huge following, because as, as we know that anyone can have a huge following, it doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about. Um, on which note, obviously, there is a lot of misinformation on social media. I mean, <laughs> so much um do what do you think we can do about that with regarding to nutrition do you think we need more more health professionals to be putting out you know the the truth and the right advice or or what can we do
0: well I love first of all you said that as a journalist you do look for that and I will just caveat that of course, if your goal is not to be working in the public eye or, you know, you don't need to have social media to be a dietitian working on a hospital ward or to get a job working with Nestle, just to, you know, focus that on the side. It's, it's not the beer endal but it is for a lot of the work that I get asked that people want to aspire to. And I suppose what you can do is, I don't like this call-it-out culture so much. It's got me in immense trouble in the past. I remember Gemma Collins, who actually seems really lovely, but she was advertising these skinny jabs and I did call it out and it went viral. It was picked up by every magazine, Cosmopolitan, Close, all the things at the time. And then I got trolled heavily by saying, you're picking on Gemma, she's just trying. And it gave me such anxiety Mm -hmm. when all I wanted to do was encourage people not to, to waste their money on these products that can be dangerous. So I think the better thing to do is to privately message someone first, always give someone the option to speak and say have you actually considered that you know seeing a registered nutritionist or talking to a doctor about this first or seeing a dietitian instead and then commenting maybe underneath the post and perhaps tagging some health professionals that can take over the conversation for you you can also report posts now on social media but I do have mm. to say it's not good enough Rachel that social media yeah. as we know at the moment is being needs to be regulated it is not regulated heavily enough anyone can get up there and call themselves a health professional we need the term nutritionist protected racist comments can make it onto social media and stay yeah. which is it's disgusting so much has mm-hmm. to change but that's got to come from facebook and instagram these platforms Absolutely. So it's a tough one, um, but you've got to, everybody can make a difference. Anyone listening, you can make a difference. Spread the word to your neighbours, your friends, other people. Oh, you know, perhaps this account isn't the best evidence-based account. Maybe you should go and follow Retrition or follow um, so-and-so. It's Mm. about working together as a unit to make a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Um, the, the annoying thing out of my experience is that when you do report things, often they don't get taken down anyway. But no, that's another just, issue. You know,
0: there was someone recently that made it to, I mean, a Sunday Times bestseller, but for selling absolute pseudoscientific nonsense. And it's really Ugh. frustrating because I think it just. I think the appeal of it for p- social media platforms is the engagement that nonsense gets because it's so out there, and people think, Oh, I want to yeah. try something different. I want to do that. And then it gets to a point where it's helping the platform gain promotion and it helps someone sell a book. And then publishers want to buy into that concept because all around it's win win win. Whereas actually, it is lose lose because it's not factually correct. It's just awful.
1: Like it would- the trouble is as well a lot of the time the actual good health advice is is not sexy no. it's not jazzy it's 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 simple and it's basic and it's nothing new so mm. if someone comes out there with something different or outrageous or you know probably too good to be true or or ridiculous or whatever it is something different then you know a lot of media organizations will jump on that or publishers or you know something that has some sort of juicy hook to it People suddenly want to listen to, but whereas actually what we we know that the real health advice we should be following isn't isn't out there I mean when I say out there I mean in a sort of anything dramatic way it's it's simple and that doesn't mm. necessarily always get the headlines but and um, the health
0: professional will take into account that not everyone has the same financial access to things that yeah. they don't have the money to spend on things we're trying to think of things from so many angles that that's why the messaging has to be very generic and basic because it would be miss it would be misleading to go any further than that on social media when you don't know all these in you know let's say 70,000 people watch my Insta story one day, there's no way I can put out something a bit sexy because they'll all be completely different. (laughs) It's just crazy. Crazy.
1: Absolutely. Well, I I love that, you know, you're so honest about the fact that you're always learning. And I think that's a really important message to put out to people. It's not like you do a course, you qualify, and then you're done. Um, And actually, I did want to ask you about how... How do you kind of decide what you're wanting to look at next, or Hmm. is it just a case of staying on top of the research? Or how do you do that?
0: Well, it's changed across the years. I will be honest. Um, At first, it's what I had time for, amongst other things. You know, so I went from doing my master's degree in obesity risks and prevention. Then I gained an interest with my mentor Jen Lowe at the time, who worked in eating disorders. And because of what Mm. I've been through in the music industry, I had a interest in helping people with disordered relationships of food. So that's when I went on to do my um, master practitioner in that area, which was more psychologically focused and that helped my clinic. Mm. But then it became more about what can I do to help the clinic and, uh, you know, expand my expertise. So I enrolled at Monash University and did an extra um, course on pre and postnatal nutrition. I enrolled with Mm. accredited sports nutrition diplomas, which meant I was able to work with footballers like Cesc Fabregas, work with Ronnie O'Sullivan. I actually have a book with Ronnie. Amazing. And I think that whatever took my interest, but now it's very different. So I'm writing The Science of Nutrition, which is out December the 30th this year. Yeah, 2021. <laughs> it is exciting, but it is yeah. humongous, Rachel. It's like I'm talking about <laughs> neurodegenerative diseases and nutrition, dementia, Alzheimer's. I'm yeah. talking about diabetes, heart health, sports, eating disorders i'm basically encompassing everything you could ever want to know it's going to be like an encyclopedia of nutrition so Amazing. i've actually picked courses it's exciting but i don't know enough so i'm also picking courses to make sure my knowledge is up to date that i'm including mm. the most recent research so anybody listening i would recommend my nutri web as a really good resource for seminars on things i'd recommend this podcast awesome. obviously food for thought we <laughs> interview hundreds of scientists on different topics and just go with what you're going to enjoy. There's no point enrolling in something that you're going to have no interest in. You really have to make sure that you have a vested interest in wanting to study because science is hard to break down when you're not interested.
1: Oh my gosh, absolutely. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, easier if you're interested in it. Um, I could ask you questions all day about this, <laughs> but I am conscious of the time and we do have some questions from your lovely followers. Yeah. So shall we move on to them? hit me (laughs) okay so alicia has asked what do you think of all the fitness influencers personalized diet plans
0: and you know it is hard because i know they come from a good place and uh, it it depends on how the individual consuming content i always say this takes the advice that's given or the information do they take it as inspirational gospel and the problem i find with it is that often the influencer won't have any training in nutrition, so the diet plans will be very generic or extreme. So I personally think don't follow a nutrition plan from someone that isn't a registered health professional in the world of nutrition would be my
1: answer to that one. Excellent. Um, So Lana has asked, why do so many pseudoscientific people get published books? It just makes
0: me want to cry. (laughs) Lana, Rachel makes her job harder too. I'm sure, because you probably have to feature some of them. Maybe it, it's it's blooming tough, isn't it? It's because the world still, unfortunately, I don't want to get political, but it revolves around money and an interest. And as long as there's an interest for them, they will still keep getting published. And people aren't educated enough to see red flags, and they may they prey on the vulnerable, and that gets a lot of buys and a lot of sells and a lot of clicks. So that's where they get published because they'll be guaranteed to make a Sunday time bestseller and be in the top 10. And at Christmas time, I mean, the one thing my book is going head to head. It does every year with all the celebrity Mm. diet plans and pseudoscience books. It always happens. I'm always out at this time of year, which means it's so hard to cut through because you're up against this huge following of impressionable young people. And, you know, my science of nutrition, as much as it's going to help more people, probably won't maybe won't appeal as much as a book about coffee enemas. I don't know. (laughs) It's hard.
1: It's really difficult. It's very hard. So Daisy has said, I'm not studying nutrition at uni, but will do a master's. Is that good enough? I mean, it
0: depends what your undergrad was, Daisy. So if you had a scientific undergrad, you'd be able to get onto a master's degree because you wouldn't actually be able to access a master's degree in nutrition without having a scientific background. So a lot of people I know have had to do top-up courses to um, get the science qualifications to enable them to then get onto the master's degree in the first place. So check the master's degree is accredited by the AFN or the BDA. Um, because this doesn't exist in nutritional therapist land in the same way. Um, I think there's only just recently been good degrees in nutritional therapist remit. So it could be enough, depending on what you spent your life doing before. Uh, but most of the time, I would say that you probably need a bit longer than a year.
1: Mm, I think that makes sense, based on everything we've yeah. talked about. Um, yeah. So Mia has asked a question, which we kind of already touched on. But she says, do you think nutritionist will ever become a protected title?
0: Yes, I do. I do. I have faith. I'm very I'm a very op- I live my life having faith because if if I didn't believe that, I would find it hard to campaign for it. So, my answer yeah. will be yes, but it's probably not the government's top priority with COVID and everything that's happened at the moment, but hopefully we'll get to the top of the list again soon.
1: It does seem like, you know, more and more people are highlighting how problematic it is that mm. that it's not protected. So, yeah, hopefully we do get there um and so final question from hattie is my new pt tells me he's a nutritionist but tells me to eat less carbs Mm -hmm. does that mean he's not qualified
0: so hattie i think you know the answer to that yourself from asking the question i do often you have to have confidence in that inner voice inside you know that gut feeling in your stomach so Your PT may have done a course in nutrition or in my, I'm a level three PT and I spent two hours on nutrition. So technically it's probably not enough to be giving people calorie plans. And I see it everywhere from personal trainers with their apps and online programs, telling people to calorie count and eat. Mm less. It's just not that simple. It doesn't mean Mm. he's not qualified as a PT, but he's definitely not qualified to be giving nutritional advice beyond the government guidelines. And the government guidelines do not say just eat less carbs. Um, Carbohydrates provide fiber, nutrients, especially the whole grain varieties or whole meal or um, whole wheat. And Mm. they feed your gut microbiome. And it's way more complex than simply numbers. It's the quality of your diet to reach your long term goals, whatever that may be.
1: Absolutely. And if you want to fuel your life, let alone your fitness, we need carbs, don't we?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a there's few cases, like when we talk about low carb, for type 2 diabetes, there's some interventions with very low carbohydrate diets. And for people with epilepsy, the ketogenic diet may be used. But we're talking about conditions here, not for the general public. And actually, if we were to admit carbs, that's a huge source of nutrition for so many people out there. If you don't know what else you're doing with your diet, you probably end up being deficient in things. So... Keep the carbs, I say, but look at the quality and quantity of your overall diet.
1: Amazing. So those are all the questions. Shall we move on to the fact or fiction round? I'm quite excited for this round because I always hear you do it to other people and it sounds really hard. So here we go. Fact or fiction? Nutritionists always take their own advice. Uh
0: no no false definitely false (laughs) i'm not perfect
1: well what is perfect anyway (laughs) um so next it's never too late to change careers fact international degrees are better than uk-based courses Mm -mm.
0: false no definitely not um i mean i don't really know much about the international courses but there's no hierarchy of a certain country is better than another. Definitely not.
1: Not all personal trainers are nutritionists.
0: <laughs> Fact. I mean, I don't think any personal trainers are nutritionists unless they've also done a degree in nutrition, in my opinion. I
1: think that's a really important one to remember. Yeah. Um, next. Nutritionists typically work in private settings and dietitians work in hospitals.
0: Ooh, um it's more fact than fiction um but we've missed out a public health remit there more dietitians will be working in hospitals than probably in the public setting but there are lots of them doing that too so it's kind of a mishmash but you won't see as many nutritionists in hospitals
1: great no qualified nutritionist would advise you to cut out all food groups
0: fact 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 um Exactly, fact. And if you are working on cutting out certain elements of food, for instance, if you're working with a dietitian on a FODMAP diet, we do that in the clinic on our gut health area in the clinic. They will also help you reintroduce those foods too. And it's for a reason. So, fact, fact.
1: <laughs> Nutritionists are expensive.
0: Oh, oh. <sighs> so, the charlatans out there will charge through the roof for different invalid tests and all sorts of things, you can spend thousands. And I will actually say fact on this because it's private healthcare and until registered nutritionists are supported by the government, then they will be expensive for a session because they're so qualified and it can take hours to do follow-up notes. And this is your health we're talking about here, just as much as to pay for a private doctor. But I wish it weren't that way. We need a lot more support within the NHS and the government, again, to provide that to people. So, unfortunately, in fact, they can be expensive.
1: Mm. Eating disorder sufferers need only work with a nutritionist to recover fully.
0: False. Massive false. False first of all I would say if it's a severe eating disorder you need to see a registered dietitian if it's a disordered eating case a registered nutritionist who has that qualification will work but you need to work alongside psychologists or psychotherapists because and your doctor there's a triage that need to be involved here a three system um, tier of support to maximize safe recovery and eating disorders coming off sorry this is not fact I'm doing what my guests do it's not fact or fiction round I just have to get this out there because it's so important. Um eating disorders are mental health illnesses at the end of the day and they come in all spectrum shape forms. Everyone has an individual experience with them. You can be overweight and have an eating disorder, a healthy weight, underweight, you can't discriminate. So mm. definitely not just a nutritionist.
1: Great. Um next. Dietitians earn more than nutritionists.
0: Uh, I don't know. Um I would say false. I would say false um but they may have more job opportunities
1: interesting and finally nutritionists mainly eat salad (laughs) false (laughs) I hate
0: salad unless it's got loads of bulk in it so definitely false
1: (laughs) I couldn't agree more when I make a salad I like it to be just a little bit of leaves then all the good stuff mainly all the the roasted
0: veg and the carbs in it I want cuspus in there yeah definitely not
1: (laughs) delicious it's making me hungry um <laughs> that was a very good factual fiction round i think we cleared up a lot and that nearly wraps up this episode but Ree, as with all your guests we would like to finish with a food for thought do you have one for us
0: first of all thank you rachel for interviewing me about this i, I think my food for thought today would be you, you get to choose what route you go down to and you really have to know know where when to stay in your lane and I think when to stay in your lane applies for a lot of health professionals actually you know why does a PT think they can talk about nutrition when a nutritionist wouldn't dare be a personal trainer without the qualification or give I don't give fitness Mm -hmm. plans and just as much as doctors and dietitians we should all be working together not individually If you want to be a registered nutritionist, you'll need a degree and a dietitian, you'll need a degree. And so invest in education It is a huge sacrifice, but it definitely pays off in the long run because helping people for a living is the most rewarding, amazing career path um, that I mean, I, I love it. I would persuade everyone to do it. You can really make a difference.
1: Amazing and you do it so well and my food for thought is I guess well I mean I've known you for years and I already Mm. knew just how much you know work time and effort you've put in to get where you are now but I think our chat today has reminded me or made it clear to me even more how important it is to ensure you check someone's qualifications before Mm. taking advice you know or worse buying something from them because it's a bit of a wild west out there but there are brilliant people who are available to help us all.
0: Oh Rachel, I love that. I will say thank you for putting me out of my comfort zone. But I really hope that this has been a really important episode for everyone listening. So thank you, Rachel. And if you all want to pre order the science of nutrition, please do because it would make a huge difference to get actual evidence based information out there. And yeah, I hope I wish you all the best of luck everyone wanting to go into this world. Rachel, thank you so much for hosting me. (laughs)
1: Oh, thank you, it's been great.
0: If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you are going to absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already, make sure you're subscribed. That way you will be the first to hear it every Monday. It would also be brilliant if you have the time to leave a review. These reviews are so crucial to make sure that we can reach more people and of course reach those higher highs in the charts. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. You can follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, don't forget The Science of Nutrition, my latest book, will be out December the 30th, 2021.